Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. A viewpoint here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The scripture tells us that where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. But how about the obverse of that? Where the spirit of the Lord is not, can we also say there is not liberty? Maybe that alone explains an awful lot of the chaos, an awful lot of the difficulties that we're having in a country that once dedicated itself to following the Lord, that Jesus was king and the word of God was supreme. And now it seems humankind in our flesh has become supreme. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But what is the spirit of the Lord anyway? If you go to the Old Testament, you find them referring to not the Holy Spirit, but the Ruach HaKodesh, which is their term, the Hebrew term referring to the Holy Spirit. But then again, they didn't really have any kind of a clear definition of what the Ruach HaKodesh was. But if we move to the New Testament, we find continually the talk about the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We also hear people talk about a a spirit-led living or a spirit-led Christian. So what is a non-spirit-led Christian? Oftentimes we don't think in terms of the real meaning and implications of the things that we say or don't say. But today on Viewpoint, we're going to open up the conversation here concerning what spirit-led living is in an upside-down world. Now, bearing in mind that we only have 55 minutes in order to unfold this subject, we have to realize that we're not going to be able to cover every nuance, every aspect, but hopefully by the time... uh, Stephen Strang and I are through with our conversation here today. You're going to have a better understanding and a better appreciation of what spirit-led living is and why our world is upside down instead of right side up. You see, when the early church leaders went into their world, it was already upside down. And yet, the church leaders were accused of turning the world upside down. What they really did was turn the world right side up. Maybe that's what we need here today. And that's why Stephen Strang, the uh, founder of uh, Charisma Media, is joining us here with his brand new book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. Stephen, it's good to have you on the program. Well, thank you, and that was a beautiful introduction. Well, I'll tell you, Steve, uh, these are these are the times, as Thomas Paine said at the time of the American Revolution, times that trouble or try men's souls. And indeed, they do try men's souls, but one of the reasons that our souls are tried is because our spirits are not united with Christ. I'm convinced of it, and I think that's uh, the, the essence of your book. You're absolutely right, and you mentioned in the book of Acts where it uh, you know, it was an unbeliever who was warning against these people who had come to Thessalonica. He said, these are the people that turned the world upside down. But when you think that the Roman Empire 
was arguably one of the most ruthless empires in all of human history. And they fed new believers to the lions. I mean, this is well documented. They dipped their corpses in oil and burned them as lanterns. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was pretty, pretty bad. But you know what? Uh, Also at the time, there was the uh, worship of pagan gods. Of course, we don't. We believe there's one true God, but they were spirits. Um, you know, Zeus and mm-hmm. Venus and all these. Sure. And do you know that the early church totally exorcised these ancient religions? Now, you know, it took a couple hundred years, but I mean, it's pretty incredible. And the Roman Empire is totally gone, and the only thing that remains of the Roman Empire is the Roman Catholic Church, the name Roman. I mean, it's just, when you think about it, it's incredible. Um, well, so that's true. There have always been bad times in history. No question and about Jesus, it, but the very the very same Rome that was uh, in power in Jesus' day with the apostles going through uh, the Roman Empire is the same Roman Empire that the prophet Daniel is going to be resurrected for these end times. In fact, we're seeing it resurrected as we speak with NATO. NATO is just the redefinition of the ancient Roman Empire. And through Russia's attack on Ukraine, it has actually facilitated the reuniting of the final extreme vestiges of that ancient Roman Empire. So Rome existed at the time of Christ's coming. It It exists at the time of his return. And uh, this is probably one of the main reasons why we definitely need to understand what it means to be led by the Spirit uh, in the midst of all of this turmoil. To just be able to stand up to this. Now, my book is a book of hope. Mm -hmm. I want people to understand that how they can learn to fulfill God's call on their life and has everything they have in store for you. Uh, I believe that people need to experience joy and in good times and difficult times, but it's interesting that we start our conversation this way because I have a whole chapter on the tribulation. Mm. And I grew up in a Christian home in a denomination where, you know, they talk about Daniel, the book of Revelation, all this stuff, but they, it was kind of like, well, we don't need to worry because Jesus is going to whisk the church out at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And that may happen that way, but there's no certainty and, you know, I grew up hearing grown-ups talk about the return of Christ and all that kind of stuff, and I just always figured it was going to be way beyond my lifetime. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just my assumption. But you know what? More and more, according to what you just said, it's looking like it might come to pass with one-world government. You know, uh, people probably are familiar with the term 666. Right. Well, the Great Reset um, is right on its way, 2030. That's just six and a half years from now. It's the same thing as the UN's exactly Agenda right. 30, 2030. I can remember thinking or maybe hearing preachers talk about, you know, them tattooing a number on people's foreheads. It seemed kind of far-fetched. But now with the chip, mm-hmm. um, they can control our buying and selling. Well, exactly. And, uh, and that's th- why uh, Bill Gates... Uh, two and a half years ago, filed a patent with the United States Patent Office to fulfill that exact purpose. That's right. And while I'm not an expert on this, and I may be saying it wrong, uh, I've read things, I've actually interviewed people, and the number 
on the patent, has a whole bunch of sixes in it. I mean, it's just kind of like weird. Kind of spooky, and I isn't hope it? I didn't get that wrong. No, and you're, you're absolutely right. Whether or not that's the mark of the beast or something that uh, just looks like it, uh, we can't say. But what we can say is that what he is intending to do is would seem to be a direct fulfillment of uh, Revelation chapter 13, the last uh, eight or nine verses, where no man might buy or sell except that which uh, would be pledged to uh, the beast empire and uh, its titular leader, the Antichrist. So we need. And the- what happens when that happens? What do we do when the authorities knock on our door or where they take away our credit cards or take away our jobs or whatever? Well, if we're not we led by the spirit of Christ, we're, we're going to be led by the spirit of Antichrist. It's as simple as that. Well, we we believers, anybody that believes in Jesus needs to have the power of God. You got to that stand right. up to this and... We'll talk about it after this break, Steve. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. O-R-G. The scripture tells us that we should uh, bind the word of God on our hearts. Uh, we should be clothed with the, uh, the belt of truth. The spirit of the Lord is said to lead us into all truth and to give us courage to stand for the truth in difficult times. And that leads us to what uh, Steve Strang was was alluding to there uh, just before the break. We've got to have the courage and the power to stand against the evil one, don't we? Steve, are you there? All right, somehow. Okay. We have to have the power to stand in the evil day. Uh, and the only way we're going to have that power is through the power of the Holy Spirit, I think. I agree with you 100%. And, uh, you know, if you even think about the disciples, people who lived with Jesus for three years, when tough times came at the crucifixion, didn't they all run except for maybe John? Yes, they did. They all ran. They all ran. And then Jesus uh, was crucified, resurrected, he ascended to heaven, and he said that he would send them a comforter. Mm-hmm. And the comforter was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And they were so bold that Peter preached the gospel, and 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus on the day of Pentecost, which we uh, take as the birthday of the church, and we will celebrate that 2,000-year anniversary just 10 years from now. And... You know, the Holy Spirit has been at work, and really anybody who comes to Christ comes because of the Holy Spirit. But the the New Testament is full of instructions about the Holy Spirit, how it can empower us, how how we can have the gifts uh, the gifts of the Spirit, how we can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. It's full of it. But the Christian Church went through what a thousand years 
Uh, I'm not getting the timeline exactly right, but he went through some pretty hard times. That's why the Reformation started, because the Christian Church got so far away, and they kind of forgot the Holy Spirit. Yeah. These things, they did, you didn't see miracles and healings and, and gift of prophecy and all this kind of stuff. And we believe, just as the prophet Joel prophesied, is in the last days that God would pour out his Spirit on all upon flesh. all flesh, and the sons and daughters shall prophesy. And I believe that we've seen that in our day. However, we don't always take it. I mean, salvation is a free gift of God, but a lot mm-hmm. of people never accept salvation. There are a lot of Christians that maybe they don't, uh, they're not taught it in their church, or maybe just the cares of life, or maybe their spirits have never been quickened, or a lot of times they're all bound up uh, with uh, spiritual strongholds that kind of blind their eyes or make them live mediocre lives. I have a whole chapter on deliverance. I believe that that's part of the spiritual life, that the that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, will help us to overcome the attacks of the enemy. And a lot of addictions and other problems that just will not go away are really spiritual strongholds. And I don't know if any of your listeners saw the movie uh, out in Jesus' name, but there were mass deliverances in the theater. Um, I'm told all over the country and in the theater I went to. Are you talking uh, about the Jesus it, Revolution? Well, they're both movies. They came out about the same time. Now, okay. This was a Fathom event. It was so popular, they brought it back two or three times, and there there were actually deliverances in the theater. Now, that's pretty odd to have it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, there aren't too many in churches. Uh, there are a lot of churches that don't even believe in it. But, you know, well, God they believe, is a good God and the devil's a bad devil. Well, and, the problem and, is they believe in something called cessationism. Uh, they believe that those things passed away with the apostles. And now uh, it's just a cognitive belief that God is calling us to to admit that God is God, Jesus is Jesus, we're sinners, and uh, we're saved by grace through faith. The problem with that is that the new, it, it disembowels the New Testament of the very heart of its power, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Well, I agree with you, of course, and what you're saying is theological, uh, my book is not really theological, mainly because I'm not a theologian. I'm a journalist. I'm a businessman. And the theologians can argue and will argue <laughs> till kingdom come. Uh, what I do is I say, you know, let them argue. It, how does it apply to your life? How is it helping you overcome your problems? How does it give you... Uh, a closer relationship with Jesus. And that's really the goal of the book. I want people to connect with God in fresh ways and so they can be a powerful influence in their family, with their friends and community, to deepen their faith, and even to move mountains. You know, Jesus talked about having the faith to move mountains. Well, the gift of faith is one of the gifts of the Spirit. And um, people tend to forget that. In fact, the thing that prompted me to write the book was I read a motivational book by a a secular motivational speaker who wrote a book called Ten Times Power. He talked about how many people have just mediocre lives. Mm -hmm. And 
his his you know he had some motivational philosophy which oversimplified was work ten times harder, be ten times more passionate, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought if anyone should have ten times more powers, those of us who believe in God, who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, yet many Christians uh, live very mediocre lives, and they're discouraged, and they feel like the other side's winning, and the devil's beat, beating them up, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So even a lot of people that have, that have experienced uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to some measure in their lives is kind of like, oh, you know, been there, done that. And mm-hmm. I'm saying this needs to be rekindled, especially with the way the world is. I mean, you've just kind of touched on it with some of the stuff you said. And, and frankly, we don't need to uh, persuade your listeners that the world is upside down. It absolutely is upside down. I mean, when you can't even define what a a woman is, you know, <laughs> and there's a severe cognizant cognizant diff- dissonance there. Uh <laughs> You know, I believe, and, you know, I know this will make somebody mad, but I believe that there's some mental illness involved. And we would have recognized this as common sense. I mean, when a grown man who is an actor on Broadway as a man goes through a transition and pretends to be a six-year-old girl and tries to dress like Audrey Hepburn and says that uh, a real woman should wear falsies and, uh, well, I don't want to be too specific, but you know what I'm talking about. Well, he's living in a fool's paradise, and uh, this is a description. The simple way to understand this is to go to Romans 1 and understand that this is the manifestation of a reprobate mind. This is what happens when you cast away uh, God's authority in your life, the fear of the Lord in your life, and now you have become God yourself. You define who you are. You identify of who you want to be, regardless of facts. And uh, this is this is where we are. But to live in the Spirit is contrasted. We have the power in the... of the Holy Spirit to overcome this. You know. So... They, this person, these people, could be ministered to, and, um, you know, how do I say this in a way that maybe someone who's not a believer would understand it? There is demonic um, possession, sometimes it's more of an oppression, but even things like drug addiction and alcohol abuse and a lot of these things are are, are demonic um, a lot of times people open themselves. It's not just the really, really extreme stuff. There are a lot of things that just bind people where they need to be free, and we have freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. And exactly. I go into that in the in the book, and it's something that you have to ha- you have to have faith to believe it. Um, you know, it's, it's part of the Christian experience, and I believe. That as things get worse and worse, people are more and more hungry for more of God. In fact, I let one of my uh, Southern Baptist preacher friends read an early version of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. He expressed an interest, and I was kind of interested in his feedback. And he said that the book—he felt that I wrote that book for him. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, it made me realize that I need a deeper walk 
with God. I need another touch from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, he would define it a little bit differently right. than I would. But I thought that's exactly why I wrote it. Yeah. And I had the privilege uh, to interview Glenn Beck on my uh, Strang Report podcast. And um, after after we had finished, uh, we were talking about a couple things. And I mentioned my new book and Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. And when I said that, he immediately said, we need more of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I was a little bit surprised that somebody like Glenn Beck would say that. And in fact, I'm hoping it'll result in in an interview. It'd be a great new, it'd be a brand new audience of people to talk about the Holy Spirit because yeah. I'm not just interested in selling a book. I'm I'm interested in trying to get this message out. And well, isn't is isn't that why you and I it. write books? We, I I don't write a book because I want to sell a lot of books. I write a book because God puts a message on my heart that is essential for God's people to hear. The book gives, what should we say, a platform from which to speak and deliver that message. And uh, if the book, if if the books sell, they sell. But it's the message that God wants to get out. And I think that's why I wanted to bring you on here, Steve. Spirit led living in an upside down world. The the book, friends is a $20 book, yours for $17. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get the book in your hand, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. Now, if you go to the Book of Romans... In Romans chapter 8, generally speaking, people will go to uh, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, that are those who are called according to his purpose. But the real essence of Romans chapter 8 is in the first uh, 10 verses, which is focusing on our walk in the spirit rather than our walk in the flesh. It says that if we walk in the flesh or the carnal nature, We are at war or enmity with God. Now, that puts the need for walking in the Spirit in a much more serious light. This is not just some esoteric kind of discussion that we're having, friends. This is about the very essence of what it means to uh, walk as a Christian. Jesus had to walk in the Spirit. And because of that, he did not have to fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we'll walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So if you are fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, by definition, you are not walking in the Spirit. If you're walking with pornography, as 70-plus percent of professing Christian men are doing, you are definitely not walking in the Spirit. If you're pursuing porn uh, websites as... Uh, at least 40% of Christian women are doing, according to uh, latest statistics, then you are not walking in the Spirit. Are you beginning to see why this is so critically important? And if we're not walking in the Spirit, we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh, we are of carnal nature, and we will be prone to receive the infamous mark of the beast. Now, this is a very, very serious thing for us to consider. Yes, 
we're living now. And Steve, you were talking about this. Uh, we don't know exactly when the Lord is coming. We see our, the signs. We see the season. On the other hand, we're told to occupy till he comes. This is how we occupy till he comes. We live in the spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it, it enables us to do the works of God in ways that otherwise are impossible, doesn't it? Absolutely. And the man who wrote the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a great percentage of the New Testament, you know, said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage of death? He also said, uh, I know what to do right, but I don't, I, I do what I know is wrong. So if the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians in history, battled this, of course, average people battle it. So what do we do? Well, the the Holy Spirit can give us power to overcome. Exactly, and that's what we want to talk about when we get back. We'll be right back, friends. Stephen Strang, our special guest. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Come to find out, actually, in a couple of weeks, uh, we are going to be remembered Pentecost. Pentecost was the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out almost 2,000 years ago, and uh, the world was never the same since, because the disciples who were in hiding in the upper room, all of a sudden, experienced something called cloven tongues as a fire. And a great wind came through that room. And all of a sudden, they poured out of there, and they were all speaking different languages. And uh, it seemed like a very confusing situation. But when they poured out of there, there were people gathered from all over the world because Pentecost was one of the three days of the year in which every Jewish man was required to be there in Jerusalem at the temple. So this was the gathering of the Jewish world. And they experienced the outpouring of the Spirit of God just as the prophet Joel had foretold 2,000 years or 1,500 years earlier. What a big, what a turnaround that was. So why is it that we have such a difficult time with the Holy Spirit today? Some say that you receive the Holy Spirit when you're born again. You confess Christ as your Savior and so on. Others say, yes, 
there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit at that time, but there isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of uh, power and uh, a new holy boldness. Which is right? Well, I guess it depends on who you talk to. But if you go to the Bible, you will find that in every single instance of the New Testament where it says that the there was the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit was poured out, in every single instance it says that they spoke with tongues or it was observed that they did, except for one. Only one place where it does not say that. Now, are we saying that you have to speak with tongues? Uh, well, the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible doesn't specifically say that if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must be. But by implication, it seems to indicate that's a premier evidence, a premier manifestation. So we're not going to get into an argument or discussion about that. As a good lawyer, I have just preempted that conversation by saying, look, this is how people look at it. But this is what I want to share, Steve. And I don't know. uh, Let me just give you a little hint of my background. I grew up in the traditional evangelical church. My father was a pastor for 50 years, and he got his start in the Salvation Army and then went to Nazarene Theological Seminary. He preached in several Nazarene churches from coast to coast. He also preached in a conservative Baptist denomination. He ended up his ministry in the Evangelical Friends Church, and I heard him preach year after year after year. Now, here's my father who said, I believe the Bible from cover to cover and the cover too. Those were his words. So on Pentecost Sunday, he would turn to Acts chapter 2 and read this for the book of Acts. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began. That's what he read. He didn't read the rest of the verse, ever. What's the rest of the verse? And they began to speak with tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. He didn't read that. Why didn't he read that? That's the question that echoed in my mind and would echo in any sincere person's mind. Well, the problem is that that very same issue prevails throughout huge portions of the professing Bible-believing church in America and around the world. What is it? that we have a problem with, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the various manifestations that the, that the Bible describes occurred with the apostles and those that followed them? That's a big question. What do you think, Steve? Well, you're talking about a lot of theology, and your father sounds like he was a wonderful man. Oh, he was. I, I he was say, a God-fearing man, I'll tell you. I, I don't. I'm not know, putting him say, down. I would say that that's a blind spot, and all all of us are products of our environment, and there are denominations and seminaries and traditions that pass down the beliefs from generation to generation, and, and, you know, a lot of us believe what we're taught. You know, I go into this in the book. I don't go into it a lot, and even I come from a tradition where speaking in tongues is considered the initial physical evidence of of uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite as hardcore about that. I I talk about how 
uh, some of our Catholic charismatic friends started calling it a prayer language. And that's right. a wonderful way to look at it, that you can just pray in the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit will pray through us with groanings and uttering uh, utterances that we can't even really define. And mm-hmm. when I have to pray about something, you know, this would be in private. There, you know, there's sometimes in some churches where people will speak in tongues in public, but in my in my own prayer time, I know that if I'm praying in my prayer language, I'm communing with God and the Holy Spirit is praying at a deeper level than I ever could with my human understanding. Mm. And, you know, it's a wonderful gift. And, uh, you know, theology have kept a, a lot of people from... <laughs> Jesus over the centuries. <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul and, said, I speak with tongues more than you all, yet he turned around and said, look, I would much rather that people prophesy or speak uh, the truth of the Word of God in the midst of the congregation than have them speak with tongues. Absolutely, so, and that's what I was talking about, praying in public. And yes, as I said earlier, people are going to argue about this, but I'm I'm writing to a person of how can you get deeper with the Lord? Mm-hmm. You know, when your heart is broken, when you're discouraged, when you feel almost depressed, how how can you tap into that spiritual power that's there and and get victory over your problems and stand strong for Christ and believe God to move mountains? And, it, you know, life is not perfect, of course, but we can live victorious lives. Uh, we don't have to live mediocre lives and let the devil uh, beat us down and, and develop drinking and drug problems and marital problems and look at pornography and all the things that you're talking about. No, we can live above that. That's what I talk about, being mm-hmm. led by the Spirit. In fact, I even discuss the phrases, being Spirit-filled. Um, or spirit-baptized or spirit-empowered. People use different terms. Uh, I was friends with the late Bill Bright, and uh, he used to resent it when Pentecostals would use the term spirit-filled. Right. Because he said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he accepted Jesus. And that's a good point. So over the years, I've always used spirit-led. I, I say always. Figuratively, always. <laughs> On the very first issue of Charisma Magazine yeah. in 1975, it said on the front cover, the magazine about spirit-led living. And I don't even remember why we use that term, but I mean, we've, you know, we've kind of used it ever since. And the thing is, listen, I come from a Pentecostal background, and there are people that pray for years and years and years to speak in tongues. They do it once. And then they never do it again. I don't think that. But boy, they can say they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, they probably don't have any power. Well, they may not be living in the Spirit. And uh, therein lies the problem, uh, because God is looking for, he's about life giving. Jesus said this. He talked about uh, that he would be like a, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. But then he used another illustration. He said, then you'll be like rivers of living water. Absolutely. Now, yeah. rivers of living water produce power. A well of water uh, satisfies your thirst, but it doesn't produce power. And I think that's part of what we're talking about here. We Absolutely. want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
not just the uh, sort of a tacit life, but in the uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you provided in uh, your magazine, Charisma Magazine, a uh, distillation of what your book was about. And one of the things that caught my attention was a list, 33 things the Holy Spirit does. And I thought this was so helpful, Steve. He helps us. He guides us. He teaches us. He speaks. He reveals. He instructs. He testifies of Jesus. He comforts us. He calls us. He fills us. He strengthens us. He prays for us. He prophesies through us. He bears witness to the truth. He brings joy. He brings freedom. He helps us to obey. He calls for Jesus' return. He transforms us. I mean, this just goes on and on. He lives in us. He frees us. He renews us. He produces spirit in us. He gives gifts. He leads us. He convicts of sin. He sanctifies and sets us apart. He empowers us. He unites us. He seals us. He gives us access to the Father. He enables us to wait, and he casts out demons. Wow, what a list. That, Steve, is the sum he is total our comforter. He is our helper. He is our friend. He is part of the Godhead. And a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, think he's just kind of weird. Sort of some you know, esoteric people, uh, spirit out there uh, in the middle of the air somewhere. Yeah, and that may come from the fact that in Old English, the King James, he was called the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ghost and spirit, you know, similar type of words. But And there's some people, they seem to think, um, you know, it's the God the Father, God the Son, and uh, God the Holy Scriptures, or the Holy Bible. Um, no, it's the, Holy, it's the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of God alive today to help us live and to stand strong. Now, I wanted to make a comment. There's a tendency... Within Christendom, from the early church, it got to make it quick here. We're going into a break. Go ahead. I said we got to make it quick. We're going into a break. All right. Okay, we'll be right back after this. There's a tendency for the church to go cold. It Uh, happened in the Middle Ages with the Catholic Church, and it's happened throughout history. Well, that's the land of sin, church. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. All 
Our guest today, Stephen Strang, the uh, founder of uh, Charisma Media and uh, the Charisma Magazine and uh, uh, the publishing company, Charisma. And uh, he has a brand new book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. Our world is upside down, needs to be turned right side up. But the only way that's going to happen if true followers of Christ are led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. And obviously, they are not. Because if that were true, our nation would not look like it does today. Please listen carefully to what is being said here. If that were true, America would not look like it does today. So somehow, the last comments that Stephen Strang made just before the break should be looked at very seriously here today. We're not falling into complacency. We are in the Laodicean church. We are the Laodicean church. And that's not pretty. If there was ever a time. But there's another side. As things get worse and worse, more and more people are hungry for the real thing. People are not interested in dead religion. That's right. And just being religious for religious sake. If anything, you know, I live in the South where for generations there's been hypocrisy. You go to the right church downtown with the big columns and it's good for business and you sit there on Sunday and listen to a sermonette and you live like the devil the rest of the week. It's horrible hypocrisy. Well, nowadays there's no reason to be a hypocrite and go to church. You just don't go to church, period, and live like the devil all the time. It's a differentiation. Listen, you got to have the power of God to serve God with all of your being and overcome all these things that we're talking about. And I see that there's a real upsurge. Um, I mean, look at the result to the movie Jesus Revolution. You mentioned Mm -hmm. it earlier. Or some people may know about ministries like Mario Murillo, who's having huge crowds flock to his meetings and get saved. A lot of people getting saved. A lot of young people are are getting saved. In fact, in some ways, it's kind of like the Jesus movement all over again, or I should say we're seeing signs of something that may be like that. And I think I think there's a hunger. I sense that there's a hunger for more of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people don't understand it for some of the reasons you're talking about, the way they were brought up, or, mm-hmm. or frankly, there are a lot of people that claim to be Spirit-filled or anything but you know, I've always said there's nothing deader than a dead Pentecostal. You know, they think no. they're not dead, but they really are. <laughs> you can't even hardly revive them. It's like reviving a corpse. But you know what? We've At some point, we've got to put that aside and say, Jesus, I want you. I want more power. I want more of the Holy Spirit. Right. I don't care about all this other stuff. I need my family saved. I need to overcome these, you know, these horrible problems I'm having to cope with. In, in my own life or in the culture or whatever. That's why I wrote this book. I want people to get hope. I want, and listen, my book is not the answer. It's not that an, it, all the answer at all. But I do try to connect dots for people to help them understand. I had a Presbyterian friend uh, who read an early copy because the book's not actually out until next week. But he said it helped him to under, he'd heard a lot of these different things. Mm-hmm. And it, I kind of explained it, but that's because I'm a journalist. 
And every chapter is kind of like a magazine article. It's on a topic. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole—in fact, I have two chapters on trials, on how God can help us through trials, which we all have. You know, even if it's just a death in the family or a lost job or whatever— but then I have a chat. One of the two chapters is on the fact that the Bible very specifically says that trials work patience. So we can begin to understand that God is trying to do a purifying. It's mm-hmm. like it's like the fire that that uh, you know I uh, I'm not a goldsmith, but you know they they will apply fire to gold so that the impurities in the gold come mm-hmm. to the surface. It could be removed. And there's other examples with metal. And the Bible uses that kind of imagery. Well, it does. God's got to do that in our lives to get well, rid of the sin, to get rid of the uh, passivity. You know, just being a passive Christian is really a sin because the Bible says for those who know to do good and don't do it, to them it is sin. You know, the Bible mm. has a very high standard. None of us can live up to it. Even the Apostle Paul, as we referred right. to earlier, couldn't live up to it. But you know what? We can try. And the Holy Spirit can empower us. And I'm hoping that my book will give people hope and maybe just move them a little bit closer to Jesus and uh, maybe give them something that they can share with a friend who maybe has some of these questions. Well, let me give you a little bit of uh, personal testimony here. Uh, As I indicated earlier, I grew up in a traditional evangelical church. Uh, my wife and I both became believers when we were five years of age and never left the church and never openly rebelled against the Lord in any way. Uh, but there came a point in time in the late 1970s when my wife and I both came to the place where we had this profound sense that there was something more to the Christian life. It wasn't just this ho-hum, go to church two or three times a week and listen to a sermon and, and confess your faith and so on. No, there was some, there had to be some, something more, something more life-giving. And so we began to search. We were hungering and thirst after righteousness, Steve. And as a result of that, both my wife and I came to a place And it was very difficult for me, I've got to tell you, because I had so much background to overcome. But as I searched, for two years, I cried out to the Lord, sometimes falling on my face, pounding my fists and saying, Lord, I've got to hear from you. Something is not right. And as a result of that, my wife and I both, received what you refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it changed everything. Praise God. It changed everything, and if it were not for that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. When I sit before this mic every single day, the one thing that I do, I said, Lord, I must hear from you. People need to hear what you want them to hear or what I need to hear. Please, please. Give me that anointing today. If it were not for what happened in the late 1970s, I would never, ever, ever be able to do this, and my wife would attest to that with a strong amen. And, you know, to some extent, every believer has some variation of that story or could have a variation or of could, that yes. story. I mean, God has given you a powerful ministry 
I mean, you were a successful lawyer. You're one of the smartest people I've ever met. Oh, my God. You know, everyone's not going to have all the blessings you have. But we all need the baptism. We all need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, whether you call it that or not. And I try to be careful uh, in sounding too uh, dogmatic about it. I believe that there are people that are filled with the Holy Spirit who don't share my theology, but it's like they're full of the Spirit in spite of it. You know, it's like... (laughs) In spite of themselves, you said? (laughs) Yes, or in spite of the fact that they don't agree with my... My theology, you know, as evangelical Christians, we believe that you need to confess your sins and accept Christ, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's like a little uh, formula. In fact, sometimes we use it in soul winning. But do you know what? There's going to be people in heaven who believe that Jesus um, came to earth and died for our sins and went to heaven. Uh, And I use an example, President H.W. Bush. I had the privilege of meeting him and even interviewing him. Of course, now he's in heaven. He was raised an Episcopalian. And I was in a group uh, of Christian leaders. Uh, Jerry Falwell was in the room, Jimmy Swagger. I'm, you know, this was a long time ago. And they tried to get him. They, they wanted him. It was a private setting. They wanted him to say he was born again. He was uncomfortable with that term because the Episcopalians don't really use that term. But, you know, I believe he loved Jesus. He grew up in a Christian home. He raised his children as Christian. He had Christian uh, values. Now, I don't agree with everything he did, but, but you know, just because he didn't come from a certain religious tradition doesn't mean that he, he was not a follower of Jesus. And in a somewhat similar way, just because people don't use the same terminology doesn't mean that they don't have the Holy Spirit. A lot of it is desire. You've got to hunger and thirst, and, uh, you know, there's a scripture about, as the deer panteth for, after the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. Yeah. You've got to have it. You've got to be passionate. You've got to want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to call out on the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that, as I said earlier, that if you pray in a prayer language or speaking in tongues that, um, you know, that it's easier to pray. And uh, I believe in speaking in tongues. In fact, I got some stories in there about uh, Dr. Mark Rutland testifies that the Lord supernaturally helped him to speak Spanish. It's called xenolalia instead of glossolalia for people who know a little bit of Greek. And there are other stories like that. But it doesn't mean that you have to experience that yourself to experience the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Lord gives us words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Just being able to make right decisions, we often have to be led by the Spirit of God, no matter what your theology is. And I hope people will get that out of the Mm -hmm. book. I hope they'll order it from your ministry and uh, share it with people, order a couple of copies, um, I, and I really hope that this uh, very deep discussion, which is actually one of the very first media interviews I've had up on the book, will will touch something deep in their soul and make them want more of Jesus. And if my book can help them get there, praise God. Well, that's that's uh, terrific. Uh, again, where the Spirit of the Lord is the liberty, and where there is not the Spirit of the Lord, there's not liberty. And if you're feeling a lack of liberty... Uh, and you see it happening in our nation, there's a good reason for that, and the Spirit of the Lord is not present. Uh, 
one of the things that uh, you point out in your book, and I think it's important for us to identify this, because uh, if we do not understand what frustrates the Holy Spirit, we may continue to be frustrated in pursuing the Holy Spirit and not realizing why he's not coming to us. In fact, uh, God says, you return to me and I'll return to you. It doesn't say he's chasing you down, friend. He says, you return to me and I'll return to you. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to 32, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, outbursts, and blasphemies with all malice be taken away from you. And be kind-hearted one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. In other words, you can grieve or frustrate the Holy Spirit such that he's not operational for you. If you're walking in bitterness, the Apostle Paul says, don't let a root of bitterness spring up in your life. Wrath, anger, blasphemy, malice, holding things, grudges against people, unforgiveness. My wife, Steve, believes that unforgiveness is the number one sin haunting Christian women today. Unforgiveness. And men. I agree with your wife. Now, if that be true, and Jesus said, if you will not forgive others their trespasses against you, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you, then to what extent do we have the right to think that the Holy Spirit is going to somehow guide us and be present with us and lead us into all truth and empower us when we refuse to walk in His Spirit? That's the question as we wrap it up here today on Viewpoint Friends, our special guest, Stephen Strang. Get a copy of his wonderful book, Spirit-Led Living in an Upside-Down World. Much of the book that we haven't been able to cover. It's a $20 book, yours for $17 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. And $5 for postage and handling. And become a partner with us, friends. We're partnered with the Holy Spirit. We have no commercial advertising because we don't want to give control to commercial enterprises. So let God have control, and you become a partner. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 